Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in John chapter 18. The Gospel of John chapter 18, verse 33 through verse 38 is where we'll be in God's Word together uh, this morning. Uh, as Fabian said, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and I'm really thankful to, to gather together here this morning. Um, just <clears throat> want to uh, put something on your radar, especially if this is your, your first time here with us. I uh, got to meet a few of you before service started. Really glad and thankful that you're here. There's, there, uh, there's a practice that we're trying to get, get better at as a church that's related to your, your kiddos and children's church. So uh, just as we had a dismissal for you to put your kids in children's church, there will be a dismissal to grab your kids if you want to. Uh, uh, for them to come and receive prayer during the communion time. Um, but we want to just let you know that uh, that prompt will happen, and, and certainly feel free to take your time and getting back into the service. We'll still be here, and we'd love to, to pray for your kids. But just wanted to put that on your radar uh, as we uh, prepare our hearts to come to the table here uh, in, in just a few minutes. Um, and there's no other way to prepare our hearts for that moment of worship in, than to receive the Word of God. Uh, also, just want to put on your radar that I'm okay with amens, okay? Uh, that will not throw me off if you do that. Um, this is your first time, but even if it's not your first time, <laughs> you can say amen. Uh, all right, I wasn't fishing. I wasn't. I was just, I was just putting it out there. Um, we, we, we've been in a sermon series on the Gospel of John entitled Signposts. And we have been in this series uh, as we have been looking to the Lord in John's gospel to uh, see what direction he would have for us and where we should go in our lives as we consider uh, various ideas that are prominent in this broken world. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, power. Uh, all of us have ideas about power and what goodness or merit it has. Uh, N.T. Wright says, we all know power matters, but we all know that it can easily go badly wrong. Perhaps you have heard the, the famous quote by uh, the British historian Lord Acton who said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, what are we to do with power? Some people think that the more power you have, the more corrupt and dangerous you must be. Others believe that the only way to truly change the world, whether for yourself or for those around you, is through power. Is power the problem or is it the abuse of it? Power is, is something we, we must consider because one of God's attributes is power. He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And part of what it means that we are made in God's image is that we have power. Genesis 1 uses the word dominion. We derive power simply by our existence. And so we'll, we'll look at John's gospel to find the true and, and better signpost for power. And so we come to John chapter 18. In this chapter, we, we see a, a complex power struggle as Jesus interacts with the governor of Rome, Pontius Pilate, uh, the one who thinks he has the power to judge and kill Jesus. 
And through this exchange, we'll, we'll gain some insight uh, in, on true power. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read John chapter 18, verse 33 through verse 38. Hear now the word of the Lord. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? So we come to this moment, we come to your word, and we need your guidance. We need your power. But thank you for the great privilege that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you speak. And so, Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words in my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It was William Shakespeare who wrote, Thou shalt not see me blush, nor change my countenance for this arrest. A heart unspotted is not easily daunted. He wrote these words in one of his lesser known history plays called King Henry VI, wherein he displays the constant struggle for power between nobles in England. As they were losing ground to France. Constant fighting, constant accusations, constant unrest. The Duke of York accuses the Duke of Gloucester of treason against England. He was taking bribes from France. Gloucester protests the accusation and declares not only his innocence, but his purity in the face of power. He retorts, a heart unspotted is not easily daunted. This play showcases what we know to be true of power. Everyone wants it, and very few people feel satisfied with how much of it they have. We often value ourselves based on the power we perceive we have. We define power in various ways, money, status, strength, beauty, talent, intelligence, credentials, charisma, 
We love power, especially when it's pointed in our direction. Uh, we, we love our celebrities, our, our influencers, our, our artists, our politicians, our athletes, the ones that seem to have the power to say what we cannot say and do what we cannot do. We hate being powerless. When we don't have the power to, to see our lives look the way we think they should look, that's, that's hard for us, isn't it? Even with these signposts that we've been preaching on, love, beauty, spirituality, freedom, all of these don't mean much if we don't have the ability, the influence, the power to apprehend them. We need power. Power to love, power to serve, power to live. But we must understand where power truly comes from and where power ultimately leads. For the Christian, that power is Christ. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, we, we see his power. He healed the sick and, and raised the dead. He, he cast out demons and opened blinded eyes. He, he, people were in awe of his miraculous power. They were also in awe of the power of his words. The disciples in John 6, 68, they, they say that Jesus holds the, the powers, the words of eternal life, innumerable displays of power. Yet the highest display of power came at the lowest moment of his life, the cross. At the cross, Jesus would, did what no other person can do. At the cross, we see the power of God unto salvation. At the cross, he was despised and rejected, yet he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was oppressed and afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter at the cross. There's wonder working power at the cross. Amen. And on his way to the cross, Jesus has encounter after encounter with people who think they're powerful. We see this as we read John chapter 18. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying for the world, and soldiers come to seize him. These soldiers think they have power over Jesus. They chain him and, and take him to the Jewish high priest, the, the most powerful position in the Jewish community to be judged. Annas and Caiaphas think they have power over Jesus. He's led to the Praetorium, the, the palace of the governor, Pontius Pilate. And the Jewish leaders demand that Pilate execute this man because they say he is trying to overthrow Caesar, the emperor. And it's, and it's kind of funny how, how they bring Jesus to Pilate. In verse 30, they say, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Basically, look, uh, uh, just take our word for it. Uh, he's evil. Uh, we wouldn't be here if he wasn't. No need to examine him. Just go ahead and kill him. Since Rome was in power, no nation could put anyone to death without approval. These Jews needed Pilate's power. And in our passage this morning, we, we see Pilate examining Jesus, 
judging what to do with him. Pilate thinks he has power over Jesus. But you can tell in this exchange that something is off here. Pilate has likely never seen Jews this flustered, this outraged about anyone. Typically, the Jewish people kept to themselves. And they have brought this man to be executed, hook, line, and sinker. Pilate is is curious. He starts to, to question Jesus. Make it make sense is what he's getting at here. Verse 33, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Which is a a loaded question. Once Rome was in power, they no longer allowed four kings. Once governors were established because of the potential amassing of power that could lead to rebellion. The accusations against Jesus is that he is trying to overthrow the emperor, which is Not true and kind of true. The assumptions over and over again in Jesus' life is that he has gained prominence in the land because he's going to lead a revolt against Rome to, to reinstate the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus kept disappointing these expectations because he did come to enact God's kingdom, but in a different way. Jesus responds in verse 34. Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And thus we see, we start to see who's really in power here. Jesus, he's under investigation and he's got some questions. He, he calls into question due process as though he's entitled to. What's the supposed evidence that's leading you to ask me these questions, Pilate? Doesn't sound like he's sweating at all. Pilate responds defensively in verse 35. Am I a Jew? I I don't have a dog in this fight. But your own people, your own nation, they have thrown you under the bus. What have you done? Make it make sense. This has to be pretty serious if your own nation has closed ranks against you. And parenthetically, let me just say that this is one of so many examples of why believing that Jesus was merely a good teacher or a moral exemplar is misinformed. It doesn't make sense to want to execute a good moral teacher. They were convinced that he was blasphemous. They wanted him dead because he was claiming to be God incarnate. That's who Jesus is. Verse 36, Jesus responds to Pilate's original question. My kingdom is not of this world. At the end of the verse, he says again, my kingdom is not from this world. This is a statement of both substance and source. What is the substance of God's kingdom and what is its source? Its substance. Jesus is not saying that his kingdom is merely spiritual when he says it's not of this world. We know this because he spent his life demonstrating his rule and reign upon the earth. 
And you ought to be careful if your spirituality does not include engaging the affairs of this world. The Lord wants his glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Jesus told his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Following King Jesus means being in the world, though we are not of the world. It's a statement of substance. In verse 36, Jesus also is making a statement of source. My kingdom is not from this world. It's not its source. It does not originate here. My kingdom's origin is much deeper, much greater, much more powerful than human origin or construction. And he says, if this were not true, my servants would be fighting for me. I love it. Jesus basically says the reason why I'm quote unquote captured right now is because my kingdom exists vastly beyond anything you got. I'm not really under siege and so I really don't need to fight you. It reminds me of when I play with my kids. One of my kids' favorite games is jump on daddy. Now, we'll, I'll go into the living room, and I'll, I'll lay on the floor, and my daughter will shout out, jump on daddy! And my four-year-old daughter and 18-month-old son will, will jump on me. And then we were wrestling on the floor. My 18-month my is, is holding my head down, and my daughter is, is sitting on my back, and we're, we're wrestling and rolling. And I'll say, oh, you got me. Oh, you're squishing me. Oh, I can't get up. Oh, goodness, all this and that. Oh. And they're having just a wonderful time. But we all know who's got the power. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not very built, but, but I can take a four-year-old and an 18-month-old. Uh, I, I can take them. But they absolutely love to play that game with me because partially, just for a moment, we get to feel powerful, even though Daddy is vastly more powerful than we are. Jesus is saying, you think you got me pinned down. You think you got me, but, but you don't realize that your power doesn't even compare enough for my servants to take notice to defend me. I'm here because I want to be here. Jesus intentionally put himself in harm's way because he had you, me, and the world in mind. He had a purpose. He suffered under Pontius Pilate because he chose to for our sake. The conversation between Jesus and Pilate, it concludes on truth in verse 37 and 38. Truth is a recurring theme in John's gospel. Uh, in, in the other three gospels, truth is is barely mentioned. If at all it's mentioned, it's mentioned one time. But in John's gospel, truth is mentioned over 20 times. John really wants readers to understand truth as it relates to Jesus. 
John 1.14 says Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1.17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 4.24 says we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. John 8.32, which uh, we looked at a few weeks ago, says the, the truth will set you free. John 14.6, Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 16.13, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. John keeps highlighting the importance of truth. And here in verse 37, Jesus makes the point that that's his purpose. He has come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Scholars note that this isn't mere testimony here. That when King Jesus says he's here to bear witness, he's saying, I'm here because I'm making truth manifest itself in the world. Truth has been darkened in this world, and I'm here to make it clear. And if you're really a truth seeker, you'll listen to my voice. And this is so interesting. Because we, we actually see the true power struggle in verse 38. The, the power struggle is not really between Jesus and Pilate. The power struggle is not really between Jesus and the crowd seeking to kill him. The, the power struggle is in Pilate. He scoffs back with a rhetorical question, what is truth? That's such a good question, isn't it? Is that not a prevalent question in our culture? That could be a sermon all by itself. What is truth? Not just what is true, but what is the basis by which we call something true? But I actually don't think that's the main point of Pilate's question. He's not, he's not trying to be deep or philosophical. He's not preparing a position paper. I, I think we see the rationale of Pilate's question in the rest of verse 38. In verse 38, Pilate goes back to the crowd and tells them, I find no guilt in him. Now, if, if, if that's true that Jesus is innocent, what should follow is that he is released. But you and I both know that's not going to happen. Jesus is going to be crucified. So the struggle is, Pilate, how can you condemn a man that you see as innocent? Jesus says in verse 37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and this, word, this Greek word, listen here, is not merely about hearing. It's about paying attention with the resulting conformity to what is advised or commanded. In other words, you pay attention and you obey. If you are about truth, Jesus says, you'll conform to, submit to, you will obey my voice. And Pilate is struggling because there's so many voices trying to tell him what to do. What is truth 
here? Will I listen to the voice of an innocent man? Will I listen to the voice of an enraged crowd? Will I listen to my own voice of self-preservation? The, the truth that matters to Pilate is the truth that has the most power. There's the power struggle. Pilate, who is supposedly the only one that can sentence Jesus, he knows that if he lets Jesus go, it could result in a riot and a headache for him. He, he knows this man has done nothing wrong. He should let him go. He, but he must decide which consequence he wants to live with. He doesn't really have the power. Which truth is truer in this moment? I wonder if you can relate to that. Well, what truth do you listen to when you feel most powerless? Do you know what it's like to feel powerless? When you can't quite get your marriage to be what it should be? When you, when you can't quite get your kids what you think they should be? This is what it's supposed to be, and it's not quite there. Have you ever felt powerless? When your health seems to be so out of your control while you're in and out of hospital visits, when you are constantly crippled by loneliness and have no idea when the weight will cease. You know this addiction is out of hand. And you should be able to keep it in check, but there's something out of your power. This, this shouldn't be what's true, but it is in this moment. I should be able to have control in my job. I, I should be able to be better in my health. I should be able to be better in my thoughts. I should just be better, but I'm not. I don't seem to have the power. Do you know what it's like to feel powerless? I mean, turn on the news. <laughs> Stacks upon stacks of bad news. Everybody has an opinion. They have a voice on what to do. But who really has the power to do something? Brothers and sisters, this morning I want to remind you of the one who is truly in power. There is nothing that you could ever face that could overpower him. He is the king of an unshakable kingdom. And in your highest highs and your lowest lows, he's the king. I wonder if you know this king. I want to share an excerpt from a sermon by S.M. Lockridge. He's a black pastor in Detroit who, who said uh, these words in 1976. I went and, and listened to it on YouTube. I was jealous because he was at a chocolate church and they were saying amen to him. But uh, that's all right. We're going we're gonna to still... I'm jealous for them amens, but we're going to read this excerpt because it blessed my soul. He says, my king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. 
He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. That's my king. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He's sympathetic and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Do you know my king? He has always been and always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. All the power belongs to my king. That's my king. That, that, that's my king. And if all of that is true, it changes everything. This truth is the power of the king that governs the cosmos. Tom Skinner defined truth as the absolute standard by which reality is measured. If Jesus is your king, anything you could ever face will be measured by him as your standard. We serve a victorious king, a risen king who's seated in majesty. And because God is the greatest power, we shall never be, be defeated. And when we follow him, we, we follow power in its proper place so that anything we could ever experience is already beaten. Amen. Many of you remember Angry Birds. I, I, I'm not much for phone video games, but I, I played Angry Birds. Um, it, it's an older game now, uh, but it, it swept the nation, swept the world. They made a movie out of it, which was terrible, but it, it, was, it is what it is. And I remember I played Angry Birds, and it immediately it hooked me. Uh, I, I played it for, for hours, days, weeks, uh, just, just getting them pigs. Uh, every time they smiled at me, I had to get them. I spent so much time trying to get these, these pigs, knock over these structures so I could get to the next level. And eventually it just stopped. I, I, I had my fill of it, uh, moved on, turned, turned off the app. I didn't really play it anymore. And my wife, uh, she, she is, uh, has a better aptitude for video, video games. She's just better at these things. She just has a mind for that. And so she, she grabbed my phone one day and she started, she saw the Angry Birds and she started playing it. And she was knocking these levels out. I mean, what took me days to do, she was doing in hours. Uh, she's, just, she's just that good. Um, and she was playing and knocking the structures down, getting the pigs. Uh, she got to a level where she couldn't knock the structure down. She used all her lives. Um, and uh, she, she lost, but she went on to the next level. And she was confused. She said, why? I didn't, I didn't actually get the pigs. Why did I 
uh, go to the next level. And I looked over at the phone and saw what happened. And I said, oh, it's because I had already actually beaten that level. I'm preaching. You don't already know. You don't know yet. <laughs> I'm preaching already. You don't know. Um, because I had already played the game, I had already gone before her, had already beaten the levels. All she had to do was play. All she had to do was stay in it. All she had to do was keep the fight going, and she was able to go to the next level because somebody had already gone before her and beat the levels. I'm preaching already. You just don't know it yet. Uh, Jesus, he, he, he came before us. Uh, he is a victorious king, and by his death, burial, and resurrection, any kind of battle, any kind of fight, anything that's beaten us down, he's beaten down already. And all we have to do is stay in the fight, stay playing the game, and he will take us to the next level and the next level because we serve a king of kings and lord of lords. He is victorious. Amen? Amen. So we stand. We face what we face, and we stand, knowing that we follow a victorious king, a risen king, seated in majesty. But we stand in the power of Christ. So let's stand by his power, in his power. Amen? Oh, that was just symbolic. I didn't mean to actually get up. That, uh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, was I thought somebody was about to start shouting. I was like, okay, you go ahead. Stand up and shout then. Uh, uh, no, that, that'd be a day in Christ Central if someone did that. That'd be quite the day. Uh, may it be so, Lord. Um, uh, as we prepare our hearts to this table, let me pray for us. Lord God, we confess. We confess that we... We need your power and don't know how to submit to your power because of what it means for us. We could lose control. But Lord, would you give us eyes to see that there really is no power struggle in you. You will do exactly what you want to do in us and through us. So Lord, would you help us to stand in the flow of your providence and your power. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.